Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Welcome to another episode of Backspin brought to you by Inside Golf, Australia's number one most read golfing publication. No more than a tap-in from me is Gary Barter, one of the country's most respected coaches. Hello, guys. Good Larry. My name is Larry Canning. I'm one of the country's most rejected golf coaches. Today's show, guys, we have Australian golf royalty, Peter Lonard. Looking forward to that. Oh, he has done so much and such a humble dude, but he's got some good yarns. My boss, Chief Editor of Inside Golf, is Rob Willis, Gary. He's a seriously good player as well in his own right, but he's doing a piece on Scotty Scheffler. He features on the front page of our Inside Golf magazine next month, so he wants to talk to you about Scotty Scheffler's unique golf swings and how it works. i to tell you what, he's very, very impressive. His ball striking stats are elite times 10. Good to talk about that. They are crazy. It's it, like it's insanely good, isn't it? And consistently, though, over a period of time, yeah. too. So it's not like a, a six-month window. It's been happening ever since he was on tour. You know, he's, he's just gone on tour. It's only like three, four years ago. I don't think it's a full four years yet. And he's just obviously dominating. Yeah, it's crazy. Where did he come from? There's a new Zexio model of golf club out, Gary. Zexio is part of the Dunlop family, Dunlop Japan. Well, I think they call it Dunlop International, which also is Srixon, Cleveland, Essex Golf Shoes. This is a very unique golf club. I have trialled it before, years ago. Uh, I still have an old driver, which is probably two or three models old, uh, that I, um, I think it was actually made for... A female professional. I think I might be getting Chris Murch in a lot of trouble here. I borrowed it off him three years ago. Never gave it back. Never gave it back because my first hit, he wasn't there when I hit it. He said, look, try this. If you're having trouble, try, try this one. And I just went bang, straight out of the centre. Whoa, that's interesting. Bang, out of the centre. And I actually took a photo of this after it. I, I couldn't stop hitting it. I was hit about 50 balls. Is it. that your screensaver on it, your phone? It, it is. It's on my screensaver. Mm. And, and I've, I've removed the grandchildren um, <laughs> from, from the screensaver. So I've been intrigued with this golf club and now there's a brand new model that's just come out the Zexio 13 Zexio X and Zexio Prime three different models I did try the 7 iron I tried to hit a few 7 irons and again straight out of the centre beautiful soft flight was able to get the ball up in the air beautifully I, I want to try a bit more of it before I give it a, a, a full throttle review but I'm sure it's going to be the same great product so we'll be doing that Gary we're talking to you about something I spotted at the Genesis Open where it was a, a high profile tour player putting his ball on a par 3 tee with no tee under it and then it intrigued me I thought oh that's interesting you don't see that very often and then I saw someone else do it with a hybrid and another hole off the tee again laying up on a forget which hole then then we all know that some of the, the best elite players hit drivers off the deck off the tee as well so I'll, we'll talk to you about that I would like to touch on Hideki Matsuyama's win at the Genesis he hasn't won for a couple of years now there wasn't that many weeks ago when we were talking about who was going to be jumping ship leaving the PJ Tour and going to, to live and we know John Rahm's done it we know Tyrrell Hatton's done it since that conversation, but during and after that conversation, there was talk of Matsuyama doing the same thing. When I was looking at that leaders board, with about an hour of play left, maybe a little more, there were five guys tied for the lead, and I think four of them have been rumoured of leaving that tour. None of them have yet, but I thought, imagine if they did. I mean, that was a great golf tournament to watch because there were so many major winners in contention, so many, so many great young players. And take those out, send them over to live, and, and what have we got there? What have we got left? I mean, yeah. we still don't know. We don't know whether what's going on, and we talk about this a lot, but I think we have to just, you know, touch on it every every time there's a show and we hear something or have an opinion on it. Has anything changed in your opinion about it since we were last on? I just think that we're waiting for that announcement. 
replacement. Still the, the same thing. Week before it? the Masters. Doesn't seem that healthy in regard to getting together at the moment. Just from the US has obviously got another investor. You know, whether Liv are, are going to come in as a... As a th- third party in that but we we don't know we we know that obviously Ram and Hatton have come whether there's another couple of announcements coming mm. but it seems to be yeah that's the the PGA tour they're still holding all their cards they're still wanting to keep it to themselves it looks like to me Tiger Woods, Tiger Woods made the statement through during the course of last week and this is the same guy I believe or was it Rory's that Jordan Spieth made a reference of quite naive one a few weeks ago, but now they've signed the PGA Tour have signed with this strategic sports group SSG for billion, uh, one or two billion or something. That we, as in PGA Tour, don't need live. We don't need the PIF anymore. And it was it was a you know quite a contentious thing to say. And he, he didn't he wasn't being smartass or anything, but it did it come out badly. I think it was Rory and I think Tiger also contacted Spieth and said Jordan, you know, just keep that those sort of comments to yourself. Tiger Woods made the same point this week that do we now need live golf, PIF money, PIF, private investment, a public investment fund? Now that we have this, billions of dollars, you know, we're getting too much. And I thought, wow, Tiger, that's a kind of unusual thing to say. He's now the poster boy for uh, the PGA Tour, Tiger, after Rory stepped back. So I found that interesting. Again, wait and see until the first week in April. But I just couldn't help thinking, and I'll say it again, the players that were on that leaders board at the Genesis, Cantlay, Showflay, have also been rumoured, haven't they, in the past? Big numbers put in front of them. Yeah, Wyndham Clark. I'm sure they all have had to go home and, and look at what they want to do and what commitment they want to make to what tour. And as you say, they're just rumours. But there's definitely those guys that you mentioned have been rumoured. But at the moment, they've stuck to the PGA Tour, and that's their right, and they're banking on the PGA Tour, and as I think Malnati and Simpson got interviewed after that strategic sports group. It's Webb Simpson. Yeah, Webb Simpson, who were on the committee, right. on the players' yep. committee, and they were both asked the question about uh, the public investment fund, and they said, look, there's, there's still room on the table. For, and still talks are there. And that just seemed interesting for me, those comments. I'm not sure in what capacity the public investment fund want to come in. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you know, it started out as just the PJ Tour and the public investment fund. Now someone else is involved. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure whether they will want to do that. And there's that ridiculous Senator Blumenthal who's trying to paint the picture that um, he should come up with all those horrible old things that, like Brandel Shambly was saying when Liv first kicked off. You know, the September 11 thing, the, you know, horrible references. Some people have their opinions, obviously. He's going to try and stop any negotiation, it seems like. I don't know what sort of power he has. Seems to think he has a fair bit. But anyway, that's in the background as well. Guys, we'll be right back after this with Rob Willis. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter. Guys, we have Rob Willis on the phone. He's my boss, and he's on the phone because he wants to talk to you about Scotty Scheffler's golf swing. He's doing a piece on Scotty Scheffler. He's going to feature on the front page of the magazine, Scotty. Is he my boss too? He's your boss too, okay. um, but I get paid slightly more, so I'm probably closer associated yep. with... Uh, I get that. I am, yeah. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on Backspin. That's good. I didn't realise I was anyone's boss, but your copy came in on time this month. Larry, so I appreciate that. So no worries. But as you said, Scotty Sheffield's on our cover or upcoming cover for the uh, March edition of Inside Golf. So we're looking forward to having a look with Gary at how he makes it work. It's incredible how he gets it around. He's a premier ball striker, yet it's less than conventional swing. Rob, I had a look at his stats. So last year, number one strokes gain total, number one off the tee, number one on approach, 
number one greens in reg. This year he's slipped out a bit, to be honest. He's third in strokes gain total now. <laughs> he's ninth off the tee. I knew the bubble had burst. Second approach, and he's still he's still first in greens at 88%, which is elite. That's, that's comparing to the players in the PJ Tour. So his, yeah. his ball striking is... It's incredible. Well, he's come out of the blue. I was looking at his record. It's not that many years ago he was on the Corn Ferry Tour. It's, like it's, it's only a few, it's a handful of years ago. Like- I, I was actually at Sanderson Farms four years ago. Scotty McGuinness, who you'd know, Rob, he's a kid yeah. from Long Reef Golf Club who played for New South Wales and Amateur, who's now an established caddy on the PGA Tour. He started with Scotty Scheffler and he caddied for Scotty on the Corn Ferry and then his first year on the PGA Tour. And he said to me back then, he said, this guy hits it so frigging good. And clearly that's the case. And I think we're all fascinated with that golf swing too because to the naked eye, there's arms and legs and feet, feet going everywhere. <laughs> there's, a lot, there's a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah. And it, yeah, what, what that, you know, again, let's not get it too complicated and trust me, I don't know too much as much as you do about the golf swing, but how does he make it work? Like, really... It looks unconventional just by the numbers you've quoted there. It's obviously very effective. So it's obviously old school. I think you and I came through that era where golf, you know, you'd look at Ballesteros, Watson, Nicholas, Norman. The swings weren't aesthetically as clean as what they are today. Like we didn't have all the science that everyone has now in monitoring every part of the swing. But the artistic part of the game, which is obviously always battling the the science and and so-called getting things right, getting positions right, it does prove even 2024 that that sort of unencumbered, no brakes on, just get up there, swing it and hit it, it still works. And Randy Smith, who's Scotty's instructor, who I'm not sure how old Randy is, say he's 65, but he would have definitely come through that Butch Harmon era. And he's had Scotty as a young kid. And I think he's asked many times about his feet and his feet moving all over the place. And and Randy's comment to that was, look, he's always done that. It's not something I wanted to change. And just by that design, just looking at that, it tells me that even though we play this sport from standing still and we want to feel in control, we still are applying a lot of force. So we don't get the opportunity in this sport to run into the ball like in tennis or move into the ball like in cricket. But we are playing from a fixed position. But Scotty, he obviously displays characteristics of someone who's literally walking into the ball. And that foot slide that we saw Norman have, we saw Kalkovecchia have, that's become a common sight watching Scotty play golf. So I suppose we'll go more into that when we do the article. He must be very athletic, would you say, to, to, to be able to swing the way he does and, and make it work the way he does? Oh, no doubt about it. Like, he's literally playing the game where nothing is interfering with anything. So he's he's playing with... You know, we call it in our industry playing with no brakes on. So he's not sort of trying to force anything or hold anything. He's just letting the club sling on its own weight. Very little risk cock, you guess. Is that why, perhaps why he uses so much more lower half to uh, generate the power that he needs? He obviously has got risk cock. He's got leverage. So he's got that ability to sort of unravel those angles that are created in a golf swing that obviously <laughs> you, Larry, never had. I'm sorry. I've just realised how many... How many Contradictory terms we've just used with, with Rizcock and Randy, the, the coach. I don't, I don't know where. I'm, I'm trying to keep a serious yeah, face on mine. Yeah, so, but look, I really like it. And when you look, it's a bit like when you look at a Lee Trevino or a Jim Furyk or you look at somebody's swing that looks like an octopus falling out of a tree. There's sort of arms and legs going everywhere. But when you actually still all the really golden parts of, of a swing and the important bits on a camera, you know, is recording it. 
2000 shutter speed, all the spots that are important, he hits them all. So that's clearly why he can control the face, stabilise the face, send the ball in a direction that he's looking. And then you've got the mind to be able to do it too. So he's clearly in a mindset where he's not too worried about it. He's just letting it go. I'd be interested, Rob, to hear your take on that mental side of his game and and just the character himself. Oh, it's funny to say when Gary used the term, he's, he's got no brakes on, he takes the brakes off. I remember talking to Stephen Van when he was looking after Allenby maybe 25 years ago. He said, oh, why is Robert playing so well? He said, the brakes are off. He's just aiming and shooting and hitting the ball. He knows his swings are in a good place and he's, the brakes are off. And it's a similar term to Gary just used where he must be uncomplicated in his mind. He's got a club in his hand, he's got a target in front of him and he just aims and shoots and uh, there's obviously something to be said for that. Rob, you mentioned the stats for this week's Genesis Open at the Magnificent Riviera. Where did he finish? I'm sorry, I haven't got it in front of yeah, me. Yeah, he finished in a tie for 10th. He, uh, he was never around the, around the front runners. Uh, Matsuyama won and... Uh, he was a few shots behind him, but uh, 51 players made the cut. It was an elevated event, so they cut to the top 50. He was ranked 51st in putting. See, the worst 50, on the weekend. 51 players in the field who made the cut, yeah. so yet he still finished 10th. So it just shows that it's not his ball striking that he's his problem as he heads into the uh, big events coming up. Obviously, the Masters coming up in April. If you can't putt, you're not going to defend that, are you, I guess? Well, traditionally, Masters, you've, you've got to have a really good short game. So it's it's even though it's a big boys golf course, if you look at a lot of the winners over there, they're very, very good chipping, putting, bunker play, which Scheffler's chipping is exceptional. The only question mark for Scheffler, which I found interesting looking at his stats, he was he's like 176th in sand saves last year, 169th this year. Which sort of doesn't make sense. He's a great chipper of the golf ball. And there's an area that he could look at as far as improving. His putting stats will always look really negative. We know that he doesn't make a lot, but... Clearly, when you're hitting that many greens and you, you, yeah, yeah. you're not having many looks inside 15 feet, I think they said today on the coverage that Xander hadn't made one putt this week over 20 feet. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you're looking at an interesting combination there. But even just watching Scheffler, he, he does miss quite a few. Strokes, strokes gained putting. It's been explained to me, but I got a yeah. migraine halfway through it. <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose back in the day, we we just, you know, our stats, money, go, was money lost putting. Really. Yeah, we, yeah. Just counted, we just counted the putts. Exactly, yeah. 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 We, we just say we had equated 30, that to 30 a dollar. Or around or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's all good. Clear some of it up for me, Gary. Thank you. But uh, yeah, next edition of Inside Golf, so he'll be front and centre. But we've got plenty of other stuff in there, including Larry. Now, we put you down the back, only because we, we want to keep him involved and keep him turning the pages till I get to your column down the back there, Larry. So, yeah, it's good sneaking. You know, if it is sneaking way, way back, it could be on the back cover pretty soon. It's a very interesting topic you've covered again this week, so uh, I'll encourage all Inside <laughs> Golf readers to hang in there for page 148 or whatever it is uh, and have a read. What else is in the mag coming up? We've got a profile on this young kid, Kabori, the young gun. He's been incredible, and he had a chance to win again yesterday. Yeah. He's had three wins. He nearly won a fourth. I watched him a little bit play down at Royal Melbourne when they had the Pacific Amateur, and he looked the goods down there, and yeah, he must be special just the way the results he's had of late. He's on last week's podcast, too. He's a ripper of a kid, too, just quietly. Yeah, he's isn't very, very humble. Isn't he? Very humble. How can yeah. he be that humble and bloody good? Jeez, I'd be a dick if I was that good. <laughs> anyway, thank humble. you, boys. Uh, <laughs> good on you, Rob. You've got to go. Thank you, mate. Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks, boys. A quick break, Gary, and we'll be back with Peter Lonard. 
Well, he's on the line, Gary. Like I said, Australian golf royalty, Peter Lonard. Yes. G'day, Peter. G'day, Larry. Gary, how uh, are you? How are you, mate? Just to fill us in, Pete, you're on your way to where as we speak? I'm on my way to Port Arlington Golf Club, play a seniors pro-am. I think we've got a bit of an exhibition this afternoon, pro-am tomorrow, and then we're off to Rich River on uh, say Thursday, Friday, and then uh, going to Festa uh, Gary and... Uh, sort out whatever I've done wrong this week. I was going to say how you're striking it, but it doesn't bloody change, does it, mate? You've been striking it that good for that many years now. I watched it whenever I go to a tournament, I often walk past well, I don't walk past you, Peter, I always stop and say hello and watch you, and, and, and I just look at all the other youngsters, mate, maybe they're hitting it ten further, but the purity yeah. of the strike you still have is a thing to behold, and I still really enjoy watching you hit it, to be honest. Peter, Thanks, Larry, it's yeah. a bit slower than it used to be. Yeah, yeah, possibly, mate, but gee, it just, just comes out of the face. You can hit it off a billiard table. Well, I suppose inside the ropes, Peter's ball striking... With the players that know, everyone says that he's one of the best ball strikers they've ever played yeah. with or seen. He's a stopper. You stop yeah. and watch. And, and obviously, Peter's record, two Australian Opens, two Australian Masters, three Australian PGAs. You won in Hilton Head, I think, on the PGA Tour. Is that correct? Yep, that's right. That's yep. a long time ago. Yep. And you played President's Cup in, was that mid-2000s? Yeah, I played 2003, 2005. So one in... South Africa, and then one in uh, Washington, D.C. You and I were having lunch one day, and you were telling me a funny story about you played in the team where Gary Player was your captain, wasn't he? Yeah, Gary Player was, he was the captain in both sides. What was he like to work with? Yeah. Well, he's always talking, and, you know, 100 push-ups and all that. I, <laughs> I found him very good. I couldn't do 100 push-ups or 100 sit-ups, but he could at his age, and, which is quite incredible, but uh, he ran the team. So it was a, uh, I think, uh, you know, for instance, there was one day there where he gets up in front of the team. Baker Finch was our, our co-captain, so he was in charge of the whiteboard, which is a very important part of the uh, team meeting. And uh, Gary came in and goes, um, OK, chaps, uh, today I'm going to let you play with whoever you want. So you pick the team. I'm just going to stay oh, back, no. watch, and just learn. And you guys can just pick who you want, really want to play with, because... People that you have the best connection with. So uh, anyway, VJ puts his hand up immediately and says, "I'll play with Lonard." And, uh, and Gary goes, "I beg your pardon, VJ." He goes, "I'll play with Lonard." And he goes, "What did you say, VJ?" <laughs> so now VJ points at me because I'm sitting over in the corner there. He goes, I'll play with Lonard. That luck. And he goes, "Okay, it'll be VJ and Goosen." <laughs> <laughs> So did he actually so, know? You, was, did he know you were in the team? No, he knew I was in the team. But I think so. That was all very funny because BJ's going. No, nah, I said Lana. And he looks at Mitch and he goes, "BJ Goosen, I'll lead us out." Now so who's anyway, next? So then, <laughs> yeah. So then he went through the whole team, basically said exactly who's playing, and he said, "That's it." He goes over and says, "Is he?" Uh, whispers in his ear, and then he goes, "Oh yes." And our surprise packet, our anchors, is Lana and Leany. So he forgot to put us in the team anyway. So Leedy cracked it. It was all very funny. But anyway, we got the, we got the play. And I think me and Leedy won anyway. So it's it actually not a bad team. So There's a couple of handy exactly. players there just quietly. What's that week like? Is it a good week? It's hectic. South Africa was the first one. So it was quite strange. You know, going to South Africa. And Nelson Mandela comes in. And, you know, all the culture and all, all the stuff. You know, looking back at it now, it's, it's just incredible. You know, the opportunities we had there. And then, of course, Washington, D.C. was the other thing. You know, we're having dinner at the White House. Oh, you went to the White House. When we arrived, they piled us all on that balcony that you see in all the movies. President Bush blew in with the three helicopters and they sort of zigzagged each other and then finally one touched the ground and 
he pops out and salutes everybody and all that sort of stuff. So it was, a, it was an unbelievable experience. Who else was in that team? Go through the guys who were on the side, if uh, you can remember. The South African one was Ernie, Nick Price, there was myself, KJ Choi, Tim Clark, Leaney. So at least you got a good memory of the guys <laughs> in the <laughs> you got a worse memory than Gary Player. <laughs> yeah, well, I could remember who was in the team. I actually did it a night at somewhere at Cottesloe with uh, Nick Ahern, and he was quoting scores and all this sort of stuff, and I honestly didn't have a clue what he was talking about either. <laughs> I know I partnered him at the President's Cup in Washington, D.C., yeah, okay. but he could remember the games, and I couldn't remember any of them. So, so it, I think it's up to us to get Peter's, yeah. Peter's feet yeah, back on the ground, guys, don't you think? So, mate, all the years you've been out there playing, who's the one that you think, or the couple you think, that were really impressive? that you thought, gee, they look amazing, like playing golf and just their game. Is it anyone stand out or you can't remember who, who you played with? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can remember who I played with a long time ago. It's the one that I played with on that day. That <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, when you get to the first green, you say, now, what's his name again? <laughs> just getting to the car park. That's the hardest bit. Like, you know, I got the video on the new car and all that stuff now, so I just put in the Australia and it just goes there on the lake. Beautiful. So, Good like that. But, you know, I actually got to play with Tiger. I think it was probably the second time he came to Australian Masters. I played with him on the Saturday. So, you know, he was only young. He would have been was 97. So, Oh, wow. What do you think when you saw him? Incredible? Well, the amount of people that, he, that followed him was unbelievable. Like the whole fanfare was like, I don't know, I suppose it's the Taylor Swift of golf, wasn't mm, it? Yeah. He did, mm. Everywhere he went, it just was absolute mayhem. And uh, Huntingdale probably wasn't his sort of track. It was like seriously tight. He couldn't really lash out. But I always remember the par five, the six hole, or I think it's about six or seven down along the road. Yeah. Six hole. And, uh, you know, I smashed my driver down there and he hit his one iron, I think, down there. And we're right next to each other. And we both had 228 yards to the flag. And, I, and we were still using those old balls, like the Ballardas yep. in those days. It wasn't, they didn't have new golf balls that went forever. And uh, I uh, hit a flat one iron to about 20 feet. And he looked at his caddy, Fluff said, uh, five iron. And Fluff said, oh, you don't need to smash it. Just take a bit <laughs> off it. And, uh, and it honestly flew 10 yards past the hole, bounced over the back. So it flew to 40, I reckon, yards. 20, whatever that is, 50 metres. Yeah, yeah. It's, and that's and up a pretty walked, steep hill, Peter, too, isn't it? Yeah. And then he walked around the back, chipped it in for Eagle. Oh, he came he running down with his fist going up and down. And I'm like, oh, so the crap myself. So, <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, here we go. He's going to clean me up by like 20. But then uh, a bit of tea tree got him going down the next. And then we sort of eased out. But it was, a, it was an incredible experience. So he was incredible. That Like, it was a different sound. Norman was a different sound. Probably the best I've ever seen anybody hit it was Fred Ogle. Yeah. I reckon. Wow, I hear this a lot. Yeah, he's very well respected ball striker. I don't think we appreciated how good Brett was, you know, when he was playing as well as he was. Pretty short career, didn't he? Yeah, he did, didn't he, Peter? He had a very short career, didn't he, really? I played with him a few times. The last round of the Palm Meadows Cup would have been 92, maybe, maybe 93. And uh, it was the best I've ever seen anybody hit Like, it was pretty windy and the conditions were nasty and he just smashed it all day. Although I did get him at the Cower of Pro-Am, I still remember. I used to hit all these little funny punch shots and uh, I hit, hit a shot up onto the green and he gets his wedge out and he smashes it and as we're walking it lands like 15 yards short he goes I can't believe it no you hit 9 iron and then I had to show him that I'd actually hit a 6 iron <laughs> <laughs> I played with him his first professional round at Cowra in a pro-am was he from out that way or something? Yeah, yeah. Golden. Yeah, Merriman was, was the Merriman. pro there. Golden. Yeah. Merriman was the pro there. 
that's what it was. This particular day, I was, had worked out how to hit a little fade, a flat fade, and I was really excited and happy and, and you know, wanted to go and show everyone. I drew Brett, who had a big, high, loopy draw at that point, and he got in trouble a couple of times. Anyway, we, we, we both had a nice round. We were sitting in the clubhouse and he ended up having over a beer, and he said, you know, if you could learn how to draw the ball, Larry, you'd be so much better player. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Brett. And your, your turn pro, was it yesterday? Yeah, that's, yeah, okay, well, thanks, thanks for the tip, Brett. I said, we're mates, we've become mates, since. he's a great guy, but... So, so Pete, you've been playing the still the Aussie tour, and you've played a lot of these Webex events. And you were telling me about you played with that young Queensland kid a couple of weeks ago, and he was probably sixty-five kilos, ringing wet. And how far these kids hit it now? Like oh, it's, it's incredible. Like I know that all of the kids hit it a long way. Probably exaggerated because I hit it shorter, but there were a couple of holes there where he just hit it. 340 metres, stuff like that. He did it like regular. Near the end there, there was like a little into the wind hole, and oh, you're not the right, and he sort of hit this little draw. I don't think he actually smashed it, but he hit it okay. And I said, how do you pick a line? He goes, I know that tree is about 370 metres, and I didn't think I could reach it. So uh, it was like 20 yards short, 30 yards short. So it went about three points into the wind, but it was, it was an extraordinary... So getting back to it, like, say, back in whatever it was, 2000... Yep. 3, 2004, 2000, 2007, what would your 6-iron yardage be now compared to then? Would you be similar now with the new ball? I'd be the same now, but I think, like, the big change came about 2000, I reckon. I think the new the balls, Callaway came out with a ball that was outraced as far as how far it went, and then all the balls went with it. That's my memory. I might Some people might say that's not the way it worked, but I, I do remember using a Callaway ball. must have been 2000 somewhere in Europe, and uh, just for the weekend, and it was it honestly went 30, 40 further. Because you've definitely played right through the shift in technology, but your own game, because obviously your game was built around precision, accuracy, you know, managing yourself around he a golf never course. Short. He, no, never short. no, he never was. He, he never was. And your ball flight, would you say, would be medium to low trajectory, in, even when you're playing your best? Early days, it was always low to medium, I reckon. And then going to the new um, ball, did you just have to adjust instinctively, or did you have to make some changes to, you know, I, get the ball up I in the air off the tee, or...? You know, well, it was a strange time in those days because we did not actually understand spin or launch or any of that sort of stuff. So it was all just a, a guessing game. You know, I think you definitely had to learn to chip differently. I think that was, I think a lot of the guys from that vintage got hurt with the chipping and it was harder to flatten it out. Like, hit it, the ball was, the years have gone on, the ball's been made to pop higher. You know, I did change golf balls in the mid-2000s. It actually, at the time, for the first four months, I couldn't play at all. But it was, you know, and they used to say, well, you know, Sergio loves this ball, Dustin Johnson loves this ball. And I'm going, I've got 180 to the flag and I hit my seven iron, like um, in yards, I hit my seven iron. And sometimes they go 140 and sometimes they mm. go 200. And so, you know, now we know that it's, it's all relative to spin. So, you know, the high spin guys love that ball. It didn't work well for me. The yeah. high spin ball is actually better for me. That's classic, isn't it? That's yeah. classic. Yeah, how many times do you hear that? Mm. When we're using that rubber ball, we spent every day, wake up first thing in the morning, how do I stop it ballooning? How do I stop it spinning? And that was your whole day, yeah. every day. And then this thing yeah. comes but in now that just, just doesn't spin. It only spins with a chip shot, but it doesn't spin with a... It just it, it must must have ruined a lot of players. Well, totally just, no, if you trained yourself with that equipment that they're using now back then, you'd have, if you'd have found another way, you'd have worked it out. Or you, you and your yeah. coaches, you know, it's we just had to I make it such a dramatic change. 
imagine if Norman had that ball. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, wouldn't have been a bit of persimmon in the, on the globe that wouldn't have survived the be impact. Smashed. Yeah, that had been splinters <laughs> yeah, so on like every tee. You know, he wouldn't be spinning it back off the green like he seemed to do all the time. You know, it just takes that whole shot away. It doesn't really spin that much. Greg Norman, we could talk about him all day. Peter, you would have played with him a fair bit in Australia or in America. It would be nice for the for the people. You know, he's, he's copying it with the live thing. It'd be nice if some of the younger kids realised the impact and, and what he did for golf in this country way back when he didn't have to do it. He was no. he was getting paid money, but he could have got twice as much and played in Japan. Or what's your take on that, Peter? You know, he revolutionised golf in yeah. Australia at that time. I came through probably at the perfect time because he'd already been number one. And it was absolutely outrageous. I can remember my parents just thinking it was outrageous. He won a million dollars in a year yeah. playing golf. Yep. Like just outrageous, you know. So they'd be turning in their grades now, my parents. But <laughs> the kids but all the kids are making. My father never even got over the money that I won. So, <laughs> you know, I, you know, he always wanted me to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, a real job. That's a proper one, yeah, yeah. A proper job. Mate, with majors, and you're playing yep. four a year, and sometimes we don't get to play four a year. But those courses, the setups, how? What's it like that week? Like a major week? Are they just so more, so much more exacting? Like the better players always seem to navigate their way to the top in those championships. What was your experience like playing in those? You know, to do any of that, like the majors, you had to have another step up. I could sort of match it a bit with ball striking, but I couldn't. I was always just a bit short on the short game or the holding it together when it really got nasty. So you know, I had a bad, I had a bad. Uh, record at Augusta. Augusta I'd never did any good at. I think basically that was because, you know, the first two days they put the flags up on the up on the hills and it was really, you couldn't, you either hit it perfect and it went close or it ran off a tier and was like 40 feet away, yeah, 50 yeah. feet, putting up over tiers. Now, tier putting, I was never any good at. I could never get it going, you know, in the right direction. Like US Opens, I think I probably played five or six. Never missed a cut to US Open. Mm. Yeah, we were saying so, before about Augusta how it's such a... If you look at the history of the winners, the short game is so huge around there, isn't it? Yes, it's tricky. And I, uh, I've got to say, you know, I remember Timmy Clark, who didn't like chipping at all, <laughs> probably even less than I do, or did. I'm okay now, but I did. But they, um, and I said to him one day, I said, how the hell did you finish second at, at, at the Masters? And he goes, well, you just don't have to chip. He said, you putt or you flop. And he said, I can flop, I just can't chip. So uh, it always just astounded me that he could get it around because I I can't, you know, there's a lot. There was so much to learn about playing there. The the first year I actually went, I uh, absolutely poured down Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So I could only play nine holes on Tuesday, nine holes on Wednesday. I was thinking, well, it's okay. I'll I'll be put with a couple of of the normal guys, feel my way around, and, of course, I get um, paired with Phil Mickelson and David Tom. Oh, no. So, anyway, so we go around, we get to the nine, the, the, like the pins in the back left corner, and the, both Mickelson and I hit it in to the mid section on the right there. And uh, anyway, so it was my part, so I walk all the way to the hole, walk all the way back. Anyway, I hit this part, it ends up about four feet below the hole. Anyway, Mickelson sets up to it, and I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, that's nowhere near where I hit mine. And then I'm also thinking, that's exactly where I just walked the last 30 feet. <laughs> you walked on Mickelson's line. The whole way. Like, <laughs> like, anyway, so he puts this thing, like, it was 30 degrees different in direction than, than I did mine. And when I remember walking to the Ted Seal, so I listen, I'm really sorry. I, I can't believe I just dropped 20 shoe prints on your, uh, on your line there. He said, don't worry, if you've never played here before, you would never probably see this. Interesting. 
So, you know, all the holes had little bits and pieces like that and, you know, little tricky things with the, you know, the wind down around 12, you know, you can see, I think you see three flags from there on the tee and every one of them's going in a different direction. Mm, that must be terrifying, so that little thing. It's easy to look silly. But the grass growing backwards, and yeah, that was a, it was a hell of a joint. Is that the only time you played with Mickelson? Did you play with him much? Did you know him? Did you no. get to know him? Or? Oh, I didn't really get to know him. I played with him a few times. Uh, that that first, the Masters was the first time I actually played with him in America, I think. And uh, when we were going from the ninth green to the tenth tee, he did say to me, uh, you're playing here full time now? I said, yeah. He said, oh, he said, oh that's awesome. We, we love you guys here. We love it. We love having you. It's great to have you. Blah, blah, blah. I'm still not sure whether he's taking the piss out of me or not. <laughs> but <laughs> no, he, he meant Australian, nice. surely. He meant Aussie, that's what he meant. Surely. I don't know, I don't, I don't, mate. I, don't know. I always cut, found mate. him really good. I, I actually found him really good. Okay. I like playing with him because when you actually... The thing was, when, when you played with him, he actually wanted you to play good too. I okay. always felt he was going to smash it. Like he was going to shoot better, but he, it was like he wanted the whole group to get going, and I kind of liked it. That, right. Isn't he's that interesting? Who would have thought, Gary? You know? Just shows you how he polarizing. He's, he's very competitive, and term. he probably felt that that would bring everyone up. So he he's going to beat it. He's going to beat you both anyway, whoever you were. So. Well, he, well, his his that's his, what he's thinking. His record is just incredible. I know, but he's, like, he's, he's clearly pretty cocky. And you think about you think about Mickelson and Els coming through the same year as Tiger, mm. and their record is still incredible. If Tiger wasn't around, they probably would have won yeah. 10, 12 majors. Those guys. You know, so that he's, and you played obviously in that era with Tiger. Like I, oh, this is mid two thousands, two thousand seven, eight, something like that. I, I was talking to you in Flint, Michigan, at the Buick Open, and you were, yeah, yeah. you know, we were just talking. You were hitting some pitch shots, and Matt Jones was playing that week. Aaron Price was playing that week, and Tiger was there. And I always remembered there was sort of two putting greens there. There was a bigger one, and then a very little one that only a couple of players would sort of putt on. And Tiger was on the little one, and there was like a group of. It looked like 15 deep of people surrounding this little green. I thought, Tiger looks like he's an exhibit at the zoo. <laughs> like, he, it, it's, it's, no, it's like, I always remember thinking, it's like, we've got this animal here. This special week. animal. <laughs> no one's ever seen it. <laughs> no, and, and just the, the feeling of that event, it was like an old school golf course, wasn't it? It was probably one that you liked. Yeah. You, you would have played well around yeah. there. And, yeah, no, I used to really like it. Yeah, and I always just thought to myself, it's incredible this guy, and obviously how good he is, but also just during a week for him, just the interviews he would have to do, the meet and greets he would have to do, mm. the signing of autographs he would have to do. And I remember Matt, obviously Aaron, they could go to the golf course and just do their stuff and go home. And, and just the other responsibility for Tiger, obviously he would have had to handle for his whole career. It was incredible. And you obviously played right through that time with Tiger. It was obviously huge. He must have been unbelievably organised for starters. But I also remember that Flint, Michigan, I actually played the group behind uh, John Daly and Kid Rock in the Pro-Am a couple of years ago, uh, or 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And, uh, that was live ahead Kid of its Rock time. Kid Rock with no shirt on. And oh, really? Daly's hitting balls off the beer cans. And, uh, oh, I'll always remember Flint, Michigan. Did you get to play with Daly? Yes, played with Daly, not at his peak, definitely, like uh, like later days. But, um, yeah, he, he, was a, he was quite a man because he used to come down to Australia quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's an unbelievable golfer. He could Incredible. play, couldn't oh, he? Serious player. Yeah, really, really good. So that PGA Tour, just all the years you played on it, what's it like on that tour? What's the camaraderie like? Is it just everyone's there for business? Is it what? What's your feeling of that? Because you played Europe as well, well obviously. You played those two tours, and there's yeah, always so that... Europe. Europe, I reckon, 
you spend more time together as blokes. So very rarely would wives and families travel with them. So in itself, made you hang out with the boys a bit more. Every tournament had two or three hotels that everybody stayed at. So, you know, you'd probably go downstairs at 7 o'clock and there'd be, you know, there'd be the Swedes and the Spanish and the whatever, Australians, and, you know, you, you group off and you go and have dinners together. So I think you get to know the players a little bit better just from that alone. In America, you know, everywhere you play, there's 500 hotels within 20 miles of the joint and everybody goes their own ways. A lot of them fly on their own jets, higher jets or whatever you want to call them. You know, so they have families with them. So it's, a, it's very different in that sort of regard. And, uh, you know, as soon as you missed the car, like even in those President's Cup, you know, on the Sunday nights, we were all, when they were over, we, we were all hanging out together and having a few drinks and doing whatever, whereas the American team was gone. Ah, oh, okay. By 7 o'clock that night, they were, all, they were all out of there. So it's just a different... Like, I really, I loved America. I thought America was an incredible place to play. You know, they were incredible at... Like, if you are 100th into the field... They treated you the same as the first person into mm. the field. Everybody got the same. The facility to practice and do whatever was, was outrageous. You know, when I lived in England, I, you know, I struggled finding somewhere to practice and do whatever. As soon as I got to America, I was living on a golf course. You could not, you know, as long as you were happy practicing, you just couldn't go wrong. So, mm. you know, I, I loved America. I loved Europe playing the different places and different sort of golf. But, you know, I thought America was... I reckon we need to leave Pete go back to his driving. Yeah. Well, mate, that was I don't want to. That was good, wasn't it? I nearly missed the last exit. But, I, uh, I heard your blinker going, and that's when I realised, I hope you're waiting for a smash or something or a siren. or. A <laughs> <laughs> Peter Lonard, thank you so much for being part of the show, mate. It's an entertainment. You're a world-class player and striker. Drive safely and play well down there. I will, I'll try my best. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Thanks thanks again, Pete. Thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye. Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter. Gary, I was watching the Genesis Open the other day at Riviera, and I noticed, and I can't remember the player now, but one of the top-notch players put his ball down on the tee on a par 3 tee, didn't put a tee under it. Is it Tom Kim? I think it might have been. And then I saw someone else hitting him hybrid off the deck, and I can't remember who that was, mm-hmm. like off, off the tee. We even see these two guys hitting drivers off the tee. They have the option of teeing it up or not, off the deck. What is that? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're definitely for an accuracy component, so they're trying to get a little more down on the ball and keep the flight down. In regard to the iron, he just probably wanted to trap, punch, control the shot because obviously off a tee with the up it's going to give you the flight and the maximum distance but as far as the accuracy component they definitely would be thinking about trapping the ball mm. rory was interviewed and he was talking about how riviera he he likes to hit the tee ball he doesn't want to get above the tree line now he won't get maximum distance but that course would be quite a difficult course for him to get it around doesn't so, require maximum distance does it the old yeah the, older the old school course and I, I was fortunate to talk to tom watson at troon when matt played a british open quite a few years ago and Tom was saying whenever he got on a tee he just didn't fit his eye and he didn't like the look of it and he just needed to get it down the fairway he said he had a shot that he'd tee his driver really low hit a little heel cut just like a knuckleball just so he could get into play he said it wasn't the optimal distance for the hole, but he said he'd rather be on the fairway than the gorse bush. Mm, mm. So whenever you see that, the players are definitely trying to be accurate. You rarely see, and I don't think, I'm not sure you have done it, I certainly haven't, gone to a practice fairway and teed up a seven iron. Well, you know, like 27 irons in a row and hit them off a tee. Exactly. I just went off the grass. Exactly. It, Billy like, Dunk used to, I mean, this is a really old name, and but a guy I love who was um, the touring professional at Gosford Golf Club, where I learned when I was a kid. 
So I used to hang around him like a horrible smell for the poor guy, but um, he, he eventually started to like me towards the end. He and settled, took, took he me on a couple of times with him. He did say he's a, he's a wonderful man, but yeah, never teed up an iron on a par three with his irons. He also putted with his glove on, which I adopted as well. So I, I was putting my ball on the tee on a par three for a while until I played some of the country courses in New South Wales and Queensland, pro-ams and stuff, and where you couldn't you know, with them and they just didn't have the facilities to cut the grass, so he had to tee it up. So I kind of got back into the tee yeah. up. But it's interesting, yeah. So you wouldn't recommend a driver off the deck for the average player maybe no no look you, you've got to be quite elite to, to drive off the deck yeah, you know, but generally yeah. will come out with a bit of a cut the modern drivers they are becoming a little more difficult to get off the ground yep. because they're so deep in the face but look nick hardy will do that every now and then yeah okay. he, he's got to hit a into a really strong breeze and it's a very tight hole he'll hit a driver it won't go maximum distance but he'll pretty much get it he'll fit it in the fairway most of the time look it's a shot you can experiment with mm. But, on the range. The range yeah, shot first. Like even I, I've noticed I was watching Sergio and Neiman and you know, a couple of live events and they're they're hitting a three wood off the ground, taking a bit of a divot yeah, after after yeah. they hit the ball. So they've got a lot more you, you need a lot of speed too. Mm. You need some speed. But look, it wouldn't be a bad thought to get a hybrid and put it down. But we see Wyndham Clark, he credits a lot of his improvement to teeing up irons on the range. Oh, okay. But again, it's all to do with your swing characteristics as well. Mm. You know, he's been practicing sweeping the ball more, so yeah, okay. each for their own. So it's probably a case of check it out with your PGA member. Yeah, but if you, as you said, if, you, if you're seeing those guys do it, they would definitely be thinking, they might be in between a number on a par three. He might have been, it might have been a good number for him, mm-hmm. and he might have just teed one down and just hit a three-quarter off pace shot. We, we don't get that insight really when watching them play it looks like a swing to us doesn't it mm. but that would be my synopsis okay. <laughs> it's a ma- magnificent my tip. it's a magnificent my word tip. And, and, uh, and, and tip as well thanks guys thanks for that mate we'll be back after this Backspin with Larry Canning and Gary Barter Guys, I've been talking about trialling golf balls to find the golf ball that's right for me so I can help the listeners with the golf ball that might be right for them, given my saggy golf game. But in the meantime, I'm still waiting for a couple of other new balls to arrive before I can go down that path. But in the meantime, we received our new fitting kit full of Zexio equipment. Now, this is a company, this is Dunlop International, which is also Cleveland, Strixon, Asics Shoes, and this Zexio club that I've been tinkering with for years now. I have a, I think it's a two-model old driver, which I often go back to because for some reason I can get the ball out of the centre of the face with it more than I can with any other golf club so if my game is that bad you would find this stunning to think that my game could be that bad no, Gary no I don't okay that bad anyway this driver if I go back to it I get it out of the centre and I wonder what I've sort of done a little bit of research on Zexia so we get, we've got the fitting kit in because I think it's a wonderful product but it's not designed for John Daly Tiger Woods or the equivalent Dustin Johnson not really you won't see them using this stuff you'll see the guys like me who can use it. It is designed for moderate swing speed. And by that, obviously every manufacturer has a club you know, or a shaft or a combination they can put together, build a club for someone with a moderate swing speed. But this, the whole design, the head, the shaft, the grip, the ferrule, the weighting is all designed for you to get it more out of the centre of the face. It's really amazing how much you can get it out of the centre. Now, I've tried the irons. I put together an iron as close to my specs as I could. Uh, the Zexio X model forged iron I tried. They're really good quality though. Aren't oh they? they're magnificent. Mm. The actual product. They weigh ferals, they weigh the grips, they, they weigh the glue. 
to yeah. make sure they're absolutely perfectly made. For years, I've always felt they were, they were quite an expensive club. Yes, yes. They were kind of out of out of my price point when I was buying clubs, but I think everyone else is now caught up in terms of price because you can buy Callaway, Titleist, TaylorMade, Ping, stuff which is the same price as Zexia. Which you couldn't do that couldn't years ago. Couldn't do that years ago, no. no. So I don't understand how that's happened, but you know, if you're going to spend that money, this is a club that you should definitely try. With my swing speed, it's about 96 or 7 with a driver. I don't know what it is with an iron. That would be still on the upper end no. of most of the handicappers that I teach at the golf club. We have quite a few good players that say they're 60 to 70 years of age. Their swing speed with a driver would be 81, 82. And they're still hitting the ball 220 metres. So Are they really? Yeah, if you're getting all the juice out of the lemon. Oh, I'm not. My lemon's gone rotten. <laughs> Yeah, you're not that slow. I need another fit, don't I? So it's, I, I think that club there would suit a big part of the demographic of your club golfer. The X, that's the exceptionally moderate speed. Okay. I guess that's slightly higher than moderate, I guess. Yeah. But it's still, you know, pretty slow. Yeah, look, I, I've yeah, always... You're right. I, whenever yeah. I've hit those, they're very sweet. They're softer, they spin, they get up in the air, they're just yeah. easy to hit. It's really hard for me to try and find the right words and explain why, I have read it, but it's very techo, why I get the ball out of the centre of the face. There's two ways you can... There's forgiveness give with a golf club that has weight all around the outside of the head, and these have that. So if you miss hit in the toe, hit it in the heel, Callaway have a fantastic... At the AI, the artificial intelligence face they have in that, and they explain that they've got the weights in behind all the points in the club where people miss hit it. The other way to acquire forgiveness is to hit the thing out of the centre. And these things, I just hit it out of the centre. Yeah, it's I think, stunning. I think, too, with... A golf shot, irrespective of the golf club you use. If you're using a club that you're getting good feedback out of, you're probably less likely to interfere with impact. If you're hitting a club where you feel like you're not hitting it that great, you'll be subconsciously forcing it on the ball. It's not, a, and then, then, you, then you're going to miss hit this. Miss hit the exactly, sound. and then, so, then your miss hits count because you know because you hit yeah, hitting them. I mean, yeah. that might sound a little bit ridiculous, but mm. I don't have the problem of hitting it on the heel or the toe when I use these clubs for some reason. And it, it, they're counter weighted. There's a weight in some point in the shaft, and a weight down the head somewhere down the other end of the shaft or something that counters. Well, you it. imagine the R and D they put into. Oh, it's ex- yeah, it'd be extraordinary. Yeah, yeah so. but it's like someone's actually building one club. Like there's like a samurai sword. <laughs> there's like four, one, there's like fourteen one blokes sitting in, in, a, in, a, in a in a factory in Japan. What are you on? Today? I'm on five iron today. How many? Oh, just the one, just making the one today. What about the guy that's on the feral? Oh, yeah. No, he's a little black. Does yeah, he get a funny, promotion? Or funny little he... guy. He's, he, he, he makes coffees and stuff as yeah, well, so yeah, yeah, okay. he does a bit of everything. I get you. My review isn't ready yet. It's all that for nothing. I'm, oh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I just tried the one iron, but I want to go through all the, all the different irons and, and the woods and the hybrids and stuff, so let me just put it to you, listeners, that if your swing speed isn't what it was, Zexio is definitely a club to try because it's different. It's different in a really good way. That's the end of my review of whatever it was. Didn't you understand any of that, really? I did. I did. I just sort of figured out that it's a good club to go and try and it's easy to hit. Good show, guys. Great show. I love talking to Peter. Oh, how good was he? Mm. <laughs> so real. God, he's kept his humbleness and he right through the whole time when he was dominating in Australia. It's just still Pete Lyon. And he still it? loves playing golf. And he's obviously looking forward to dominating the Legends Tour. Mm. He turned 50 at the wrong time, didn't he? It was like just post-COVID, so yeah, it was a bit hard to get... He to missed out probably a couple of years. Yeah. Obviously got to take on Stoltzy. Stoltzy's killing him. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a strong field, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strong field. They're sort of going well domestically. Hopefully we'll see Peter on the Champions Tour in the States one day. I got some points up with my boss, Rob Willis. I think he likes me still. 
I got my piece in early. Yeah, I think so. That early it came up from page 160 to 143. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thanks for the show. And listeners will be right back as soon as we can for another episode of Backspin. Backspin.